In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Whether you realize it or not, all of us have been served by servants. Now, the reason we might not recognize them is we don't always call them that. We don't always call them servants. But in restaurants, we tend to address them as waiters. Or in department stores, we usually call them sales clerks. Sometimes they are given glorified titles like produce manager or service technician. And when we read and hear this passage from the gospel and realize it in this way, then Jesus' dialogue about inviting the hired help, as it were, to sit down and eat makes a little more sense. I mean, after all, when was the last time we invited the person who changes the oil in our car out to dinner? There is a sign of good servants, and when we think of our experiences of dining out, perhaps going to a concert with an usher guiding people to their seats in our section, or perhaps even an airline stewardess who helps us on a transatlantic flight, part of the mark of a good servant is how much we notice or perhaps we don't notice them. The same is said in the world of classical music, that the accompanist who plays the piano for a soloist, be it a singer or an instrumentalist, the one that goes unnoticed, the one who doesn't distract from the star or the performance of the piece is always the best accompanist. And I'm sure that all of us have had the experience of a waiter or a server who was just a little too eager, eager to help us out during dinner, perhaps with an eye on getting a little bit more tip money, that they become instead a distraction to the time that we spend with friends or they interrupt the business transaction that is taking place and the whole occasion is ruined. And that is part of what Jesus is trying to tell us in this parable that we read today. That all are called to be servants of Jesus, slaves to God. And while we are always servants and slaves, we don't always have to go around shouting it from the rooftops expecting that we become the ones being served rather than the ones doing the serving. Our role, from layman to clergy, is to constantly be working for the kingdom of God, just like the servants and the workers of a king or a lord or the butler or household staff of some place like the White House are constantly behind the scenes, but doing the work that they should be doing. The waiter or the waitress at our favorite restaurant who provides us good service usually does so unobtrusively because they understand the role that they fill. But what happens sometimes is this. We begin to feel a little self-important in our roles. We think that the one whom we serve really can't do much without us. We expect extra gifts, or perhaps what we sometimes call the perks of the job. In our Christian life, it might look like seeking certain appointments, or wanting our names memorialized on a plaque, or even having some event named after us, because, I mean, after all, we gave the initial funding so they could kick off that celebration. 
But that's not what servanthood in the kingdom of God looks like. Rather, a combination of our call and our response is to do everything that we are called to do as Christians, to follow the precepts of Jesus and to obey and to live into the vows and the covenants that we made at our baptisms and at our confirmation. And when we are asked why we do such things, to point back to Jesus and say, we are only doing what we ought to do. But that doesn't sound very exciting, now does it? I mean, where's the glory? Where's the prize? When do we get to accept our prize and stand on the stage and get our 15 minutes of fame? When do we get to all the accolades that we deserve for following Jesus and living into his gospel and doing all the things that he has commanded us to do? Well, if that's our goal, then we must rethink what and why we are doing the things we do. The point of being a servant of Christ means that we take all of our ego out, all of our pride, out of what we do. We wouldn't imagine a butler like dear Mr. Carson on Downton Abbey or Jeeves in the P.G. Woodhouse novels of pointing to themselves and rubbing their hands and saying, look at all that I have done. Rather, the servants in both literature and film who were portrayed that way are usually the evil and the wicked servants. Just imagine a waiter coming to your table and giving you a list of everything that they did for you during the hour or so that you dined with them, hoping for a better tip. It would, it would kind of be off-putting, wouldn't it? Rather, we as Christians are called to serve Christ well and to point to Him, not to ourselves as we go about our daily life and our work, for the glory of this kingdom. And sometimes that means when somebody says something to us about what we've done, our only response is a simple thank you, or you're welcome, or it was my pleasure. And this is not easy for most of us, and I know it is not easy for me. After all, I, a former musician, am used to the applause and the accolades, and I sometimes question my own work based on how many compliments or words of affirmation that I receive after the performance. But for me, one of the most humbling things that I became aware of after I became a cleric was not the job, nor the rites or the rituals, but instead the simple garment that I wear, that black shirt and clerical collar. And unless I'm out running errands around town or am on the ranch, I tend to wear my collar, the black shirt, everywhere I go. So if I'm headed to San Antonio this week or to Waco for the day, I usually put it on. And why, you might ask, well, first, the humbling nature of what that dress denotes to so many people and the reason why clergy wear black. Do you all know why clergy wear black? 
It's to remind you of your mortality. To remind you that death is always lurking around the corner. Case in point, last year I took a pilgrimage to the United States Shrine of Our Lady of Walsingham in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I decided that to help extend the travel time and to make it as prayerful as possible, I would take the train from San Antonio all the way to Sheboygan. And I wore my cassock, that black kind of gown-looking thing, on my pilgrimage all the way up and all the way back. And here's what happened. I met and talked to more people than I usually do, including blessing rosaries in the dining car that were going on their way to be gifts to newly commissioned police officers. Or I prayed with people who were traveling to care for ill family members. I remember on one of the legs of my journey, sitting next to a man who was with his family, and they were joking about the fact that he really needed a priest because he hadn't been to church since the priest-child abuse scandal the Roman Catholic Church had rocked his own parish near Chicago. The collar and the cassock became an entry, a gateway back into the church. But you see, there's also the problem when you wear the collar. People want to talk to you all the time. Sometimes they want to make a confession as you're trying to board an airplane or stopping you in a hospital as you head to someone else's ICU room because you have an appointment there, but then you also have to promise to go back and see their loved ones in a few minutes. But it's also because it becomes a humbling garment to wear because you realize over time that what they're really looking for is not some red-headed priest or a priest ordained in a certain denomination, but somehow they, through the grace of the Holy Spirit, actually see Jesus working something out in their life while you wear a certain color shirt and a white collar, sort of like the police officers in Chicago on my trip who I asked to help me find my train and one of them said, so, you are one of those priests who take their job seriously, right? Well, that's me. And to tell you the truth, it sometimes becomes a little embarrassing. My anonymity is gone when I wear the collar. But what about you? Many Christians wear a cross around their neck. Do we live up to the calling of wearing a cross? And if you do wear a cross as a necklace or as a pendant, don't hide it under your shirt or under your blouse. Wear it for all the world to see. But when you do, beware. Beware because when you display it for others to see, they will see whether or not you are living into your calling and being a servant of Jesus. And they might just begin to wonder. I can't speak to you and to your experiences, but I think we all understand the difference between good and wicked servanthood.
But one last thought. What servants realize over time is that they depend less upon themselves and more upon the one whom they serve. Lord, increase our faith. That's not just a plea for us to have more trust or more understanding of our blessed Lord. But it is also our own desire to learn the desires of our master. To know Jesus more fully, more completely. And servants who serve one person over a length of time learn what that person needs before they, or what they want before they even ask. Or maybe even before the person knows what they need. So it is with us. Increasing our faith can also be a way of looking at our own living and asking for a greater understanding of what Jesus commands all of us to do. Sometimes we pray for insight to know what to do in particular circumstances or situations. But over time, by growing deeper and deeper in relationship with Christ, it means that our faith tells us what he desires of us before we ever ask. May the Lord increase our faith so that we may serve him duly and faithfully. And on the great day of judgment, may our response to his mercy be, we are worthless slaves and we have done only what we ought to have done. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.